Welcome, welcome to Live Courageously podcast show number 51. And I'm your host, John Duffy. And we're having some technical difficulties and hopefully we're gonna resolve them in a minute. Um, so as that is being done on uh, my guest side from Israel, in the meantime, I'm gonna do a, a quick introduction and hopefully he's gonna pop on the show or we'll call this as a preview and then we will um, attempt to solve this technical problem. But anyway, uh, Today's show is very special and timely as my guest, Ram Weinreich, is coming to us live from Israel. And I say that hopefully to, uh, as the technology just keeps uh, glitching on us, but uh, he's coming to us from Israel during a very dark moment in their history. And I think he's about to come on. Excellent. I think I see him. I think we're getting there. And so let me just give a quick intro to him and then we're going to bring him on. I first met Ron in Hollywood at a screening of uh, military veteran films that were put on by the LA Film School. And after the program, we talked for over an hour outside on a rainy, cold LA night. I know it happens. And I got to hear his background and we became friends that night. He later invited me to a Shabbat at his apartment and I got to meet him uh, and his friends even further. And we stayed in touch over the years. And I last had lunch with Ron in Studio City this year when he, um, re-invited me to Israel to visit and tour, and I put it on my bucket list for next year. And after the tragic, savage attacks in Israel on October 7th, uh, I reached out to Ron and asked him to come on the show and share his experiences and his insights with us. So let me introduce our guest today, uh, Ron Weinreich. And Ron is a director of MKA Israel Communications Program, uh, leader, high-performance executive coach. He's a unique face in the consulting and coaching landscape. He was born in Israel and raised in the United States, and he has both the love for training and develop leaders in the business world, as well as a profound excellence in the world of art, namely music. By the age of 20, Ron was leading soldiers in combat in the Israeli Defense Forces as a tank commander when he was injured in a war between Israel and Lebanon at the age of 20. He suffered a spinal cord injury uh, in that incident, and after rehabilitating with unlikely speed, he studied business in Israel's premier Reichman University, graduated from the renowned Zell Entrepreneurship Program, and he led leadership workshops for the IDF and became a leading director in the U.S. all-volunteer nonprofit, where alongside his partners, over $42 million in grassroots donations were raised to fund devices for injured U.S. veterans within a two-year period. Became a famous, he also became a famous performing and recording artist in Israel. And over the last decade, Ron has been heavily involved in leading programs and coaching in the world's most demanding leadership program at Landmark Worldwide. He currently resides between Israel and Los Angeles and is spearheading a firm in Israel. Ron has spoken before thousands of people on the subject of communications, performance, leadership, and both in Israel and the United States, and is known for his pragmatic, inspiring style and warrior spirit. Shalom, greetings, brother. Thank you for, for coming on the show at this uh, challenging time in your life, your family's life, and the, uh, Israel's life. Oh, um, you, you got to unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And can you hear me okay? Yeah, there's, yeah, a, there's little, a little, a little a bit little of echo on my side. My side. Um, um, let me just make sure if I could take care somehow. How about that? Uh, how about now? Does that sound better? I think it sounds better to me. Uh, I think we're all right. I think we are. Uh, well, what we had a little tech 
issues there, but that's not surprising. So uh, thank you for taking the time, and I appreciate it that, that you know you're willing to jump on and and share what's going on. Uh, so how are you doing? To start with that, how are you? How are your family? How are your friends? What you know, just your immediate circle, and then of course we're going to go wider in, in the circle of your your community. Well, I'm doing I'm doing all right. Uh, my family is uh, my family is doing well. I mean, well, everything is kind of relative these days. Um, my family is safe, healthy. Everyone's in one piece. Uh, we have a few guys in our family who you know the more my who are my extended family who are in the reserves, and. Um, uh, and we wish them all the blessings and the safety in the world. And um, besides that, thank God we're all okay. You know, everyone's trying to manage right now in Israel in this very, very odd situation to uh, contribute whatever we can contribute to the war effort on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, to deal with the... Uh, I want to say mental and spiritual brokenness. You know, there's been we 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 took a really really hard left hook to the chin out of nowhere. That uh, you know, and and the truth, the fact of the matter is that we're still kind of dazzled. You know, we still got the 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 stars or the birds around our head. You know, and 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 but parallel to that, it we, you know it's been one week since the catastrophe, since the atrocities occurred. And um, we've finally be able to, been able to, uh, you know, get, get our footing. We've, we've regained our footing. The military is organized and the country is, uh, you know, on full blast, on full tilt. We're ready to go. Well, I can, you know, I know it's being described as Israel's 9-11 times 10, because when you think about the amount of people you know, in a, in a country of the size of Israel, when we suffered 9-11 in New York City, you know, it was 2,977 people who were killed in that uh, terrorist attack. And we're a country of over 300 plus million people. So in your country, it would be the equivalent, they say, of over 35,000 people being killed. So when you, you know, and like you said, it, it, and it's only been a week, so it's hard to, you know, I, I kind of think back to 9-11, how, how long it took for us to kind of get our bearings again and, and uh, somehow deal with this unexpected, tragic terrorist attack. And so for you, it's a lot closer. So, you know, I can't fully, obviously it's different. And so I just, you know, I think people need to understand how bad it is and how uh, um, traumatic it is for the people of, uh, of your country and Israel and, 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 and the people in the world. I don't think that there's anyone. I well, it's not. I'm sure that there are a few, but as as in a you know generally, I think there are very very few people in this country today that don't have someone who was either killed or injured, either in their first or in their second degree. Okay, I mean even myself, I have a good buddy who I went to boot camp with and I, and who was in my battalion in the military, who he was one of the police officers who was, uh, who was uh, securing the, that rave, you know, that party, the infamous, infamous party where over 200 people were uh, just massacred. Um, 
and he uh, and he also, he, you know, in securing that uh, that party, he was he contended with the with the terrorists, and uh, he didn't succeed. Obviously, the firepower was way beyond anything that anybody imagined. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have a, a, a unique experience, and that's why I think, you know, what you can share with us today, for those of us who are so distant from it and don't understand, you know, the history, and I, I speak for myself too, never having been to Israel, you know, you don't understand the reality, even on that level, even as somebody who had visited or not visited, right? But, you know, you were, at, when you were young, you were in the IDF, and you were in a war situation previously. So if you could just share a little bit of your background that kind of gives you a special, unique understanding because your your brothers and sisters were in the IDF and you fought with them. So maybe just share a little bit of that with us, Ron. Yeah, so in a, so in a couple, in a few words, in a few sentences, I'd say that. So I was born in Israel and I was raised in the United States until in you know New York and New Jersey until I was about 15 years old. And then I moved back to Israel with my family um, I went to high school, graduated, went to the military, became a tank commander in the IDF. Much of my service was, you know, as, as, the, as much as I love tanks incredibly, um, most of my service, to tell you the truth, was as a foot soldier. Okay, because in the day-to-day warfare of Israel, when, you know, it's, it's, Israel isn't fighting countries usually. We're usually, most of our warfare is, is you know, uh, with dealing with the Palestinian population, and, um, it doesn't really look good. And it's also not very effective to put, you know, the most tow- powerful tank in the world that Israel possesses up against, you know, a civilian population. It's uh, A, not effective. B, looks really, really bad on television. And there's no shortage of looking bad on television with Israel. So we're always trying to mitigate what people will have to say and what the world will have to say and to take as much, you know, as, as least amount of flack as we possibly can. And, and, and that very naturally also to deal with the Palestinian population in the most humane possible way, because I mean, they're human beings. There's no, there's no question about it. And naturally when militaries meet human beings, military is, you know, it's, it's a machine. doesn't matter by the way, if it's the military or if it's the DMV, the DMV is a machine also. Any giant bureaucracy, as soon as you put a person, you know, in a uniform and with a badge, whether it's the DMV or police or firefighters or, or military, then, you know, their intricacies begin because, you know, they're, they're the policies and, and the efficiency of the organization and um, and we did everything in our power to to be as uh, you know on the one hand so it's a very very fine balance to on the one hand be able to secure your population when you know without a shadow of a doubt that there are uh, you know evil insurgents and terrorists who are on the prowl intentionally seeking to uh, exploit your niceness and to exploit your morality because you know that's that's where they're going to hit the touch that that's going to be their touchdown that's where they're going to score the touchdown that's going to be their grand slam like right there boom it's going to be that soldier who they 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 got the picture over a month or two that 
he's he's a sweetheart of the group. That's where we're gonna. That's gonna be the hole in the fence through which we will infiltrate. And uh, and on the one hand, you know, you have to deal with human beings as human beings. On the other hand, you have to secure your people. And it's a very, very, very fine balance that I learned, um, you know, in my own experience in the IDF um, on, um, in, in, you know, in, in a way which I'll never forget in my life. You know, I, 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 on the one hand, I almost went to jail because I was that nice soldier one time. Mm. I was all, I almost went to jail because I, I didn't obey an order because I didn't think it was very, uh, I didn't, you know, I, I felt like it was unbalanced and, and I was, uh, uh, I was almost sent as court-martialed. I went to court on that, on disobeying an order. It wasn't anything bad, by the way. It was just checking people's papers on a really hot day and I didn't want to do it. Huh. And, um, and, uh, so I was court-martialed and punished for that. And uh, part of my punishment was was doing a lot of patrolling in the Palestinian territories, a lot of patrolling, eight-hour shifts, eight hours on, eight hours off, eight hours on, eight hours off, like that for three whole weeks, okay? I was, I was like a zombie. And um, in those shifts, uh, in the middle of the night one night, I caught two uh, two terrorists, you know? My crew and I caught two terrorists with our own hands. And um, and uh, I just got, you know, it was like a slap, in, slap to my face. Like, oh, my God, look at that. I was I was a smart ass one day. And, you know, during my punishment, I realized like I, I they, they could have easily killed me that day, too. But my my warriors had my back and they they caught them before I before I even saw it was coming my way. So. Um, it's a really, really tough reality that that exists here, but that's. Um, but you know that that is so important. I think some of what you're saying, because for people, especially people who've never been in that situation, privilege I'll call them privileged people or super privileged people who've never been in a situation where there's war, or there's danger of war, or there's terrorism. You know, it gives you a sense of not understanding on any level what reality is in that in your world. And like you said, even in your world, your, your your humanity was such that you treated people humanely, and then you realized that there was also terrorists. And, 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 and you realize there's a distinction there, and I think sometimes that gets confused with people in America, Europe, all over the world, that they don't understand that, yeah, there's the Palestinian people, but then there's a terrorist organization, and they're not the same. Um, they can combine, they can be worked together, but there's a distinction and terrorists are terrorists. And there's, and you've experienced it, I think, and people have to understand what that is. And and we you just saw it on October 7th, the worst savagery, brutality, I, I don't know, animal behavior of terrorists. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just boggles the mind. And yet people don't even see it and can't understand it, even yeah. after it's done. Yeah, well, I, I want to also distinguish because when you say, JD, when you say people, it's not true that people don't distinguish it. It's, it's, um, it's, if anything, it's mostly people on the West don't know how to distinguish it, you know, because, and, Great. and, and the fact of the matter is that, hey, if I look at my childhood growing up in the United States, I lived in Long Island, 
in a big house, the beautiful pool, you know, on like a four acre lot. And beautiful trees, went to one of the best public schools and, you know, in, in New York, um, had a beautiful front lawn, rode my bike every day to my friends' houses. I, I had no clue in, in any of my being whatsoever of truly the existence of anything that is even remotely close to something called evil. Okay. It's, it wasn't even on my radar, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like, if you know, if you, if you told someone that, you know, I, you know, come meet, I, I just bought a pet pterodactyl. It's uh, what are you talking about? It, you know, it's, it, it's not even, it doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. You know, we see it, we see it on the movies and stuff like that. We think it's cool, but we don't really think that um, it really exists. This concept for people in the West that there are human beings. It doesn't matter if it's Hamas or if it's Osama bin Laden or if it's ISIS or if it's whoever. Okay, um, that there are people. Or by the way, or if it's or if it's drug dealers trying to you know peddle drugs or traffic children or traffic whatever. Um, that there are human beings in the world. That when they wake up in the morning, their agenda in life, their purpose in life is to wreak havoc, cause chaos, death, suffering to other human beings. I mean, that's it. That's, you know, it's like when, when we, whoever's watching this, we probably wake up in the morning and what our day looks like is, um, you know, oh man, let me hit the snooze button. All right, I'll go, uh, I know, I'll, leave, I'll leave the house. I'll go get myself some coffee. I'll go to the gym. You know, I have a commitment to feeling good, to living a good life, to looking good, to doing something, you know, good for other people. You know, it's, it's so natural in our way of being to think that way that we never question the alternative. And there, you bet your ass, there's an alternative, which is we're going to get up today and see how the hell we, uh, you know, we figure out the deaths of kids. We need to kill some kids. Let's see how we can kill as many kids as possible in the shortest amount of time. Hey, guys, why don't we get together next week and devise a plan on how to do that? Let's do that. Let's let's have a conversation. You know, this, these are real things that happen. And um, it's so foreign to us that uh, it, it seems like it's something unfathomable. But but here it is. It's like it's like it's like it's like right here all the time. It's right under people's noses all the time. People that, by the way, that do know evil is um, uh, are people who, um, you know, I don't know, God forbid, people who have uh, encountered rape, like who were raped or have encountered pedophilia or things like that, you know, in their lives, then, then you know, that that's like in the West, like the, the closest that we get to to the presence of evil. Like those people will say that they know what evil is, you know? But um, evil is on the prowl all the time. And if you, you know, you're, I mean, I think it's, it's a distinction and not a distinction, but you're right. Most people don't know, uh, you know, like unless you grow up in areas, like I grew up in a poor area, I saw drug 
dealers. I saw gangs. I saw people sick dogs on people and kill them right in front of me. I saw that. I saw that evil in human beings because that was the neighborhood I grew up in. And people do see that. But most of the people in America don't see that. Most people don't experience that and the Western world as well, like you said. And the other thing is they don't realize if it's a cartel, a drug cartel that's uh, trafficking children or women or selling drugs, they're, they'll use those people as tools and they don't care if they get killed. They don't care anything about them. And then when you take that to the political world and you put that into the political world and you have groups like ISIS or groups like Al-Qaeda or Hamas, Hezbollah, et cetera, that's just another version of that level of evil taken into the political world. But those people have the same or maybe worse impulses that they don't care. They'll use their own people and kill them too because there's no that there's no moral uh, compass in those people, none whatsoever. Well, the, uh, yeah, well, there's definitely not a moral compass by our morals. They have a different moral compass. They have a moral compass. It's just a different moral compass, you know? And, I'll, and, and there's one thing that I want to say about Hamas also, if we're on the subject, JD, that, that, you know, if it's, it could be said, and, and I may be, I may be very wrong about this. This is total speculation. This is an, it's, it's an assertion of mine. Okay. That even if 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 you or I were, you know, were drug dealers, then we would be dealing drugs because we want to make money, and we don't give two dams about anybody. You know, everyone can go to hell, but we're just going to make our money and we're going to do our thing. You know, if you think about it, uh, there is no explicit seeking of intentionally of intentionally ruining the lives of others. For example, I, I, I mean, I'll ruin someone's life, no problem, in order to get, you know, to make my money, right? But with Hamas and these terrorists, it's the other way around. Money is not the thing. The thing is, we need to go and not, we need to go murder people. Like that, that's, that's the game we're playing. You know, it's like, we will intentionally, explicitly devise ways to destroy life. And to take away life, and you know, the the money is a secondary thing. And I, I know it's so hard to understand that on an emotional, intellectual level, right? Because it isn't part of the majority of the people of the world's. How could you get there? How do you even get there? You know, it's like it's all unimaginable on so many levels. But yet, it's so true. And I think that's one of the things you know, having you on and having you share this because you know, you see it up close and personal. You know, you got a country that's surrounded um, by people who, you know, at the end of the day, people don't believe them when they say it. But if some, you know, I grew up in the, in the ghetto and if somebody said that they were gonna try and kill somebody, I believed them. It wasn't, it wasn't just a idle, you know, yeah, they're just talking. So, you know, when terrorists tell you they want you to destroy and kill all the Jews and destroy Israel, it's not just words, man. It's just not words, it's reality. That's the truth, that is their truth. And they believe it and they act on it. And everybody in the West goes, ah, that's just words. No, it's not. And if you never lived in an environment where somebody says something and then they do, they do it, it's like, I'm gonna kill that person and then they kill them. You can't believe that that's the way it works, but that is the way it works. Absolutely, yep. And they're, they're also very consistent with it. You know, it's there's one thing, it, these guys are masters at their craft. You know, it's, um, it's, it's like, it's not, it's like, not like they're new to the job. So they've been in this 
and very well invested in it for, for, for very many years. And it's not that they're just talking about it. They talk about it and they act on it and they've been acting on it again and again and again and again. And, um, and uh, now we're finally at the point after the atrocities that, that, uh, that our people here in Israel have undergone, which are uh, the biggest, most catastrophic atrocities committed against the Jewish people and against Israel since the Holocaust. Um, uh, it is time for uh, repercussions, you know, and we can only hope that uh, we will get the job done and be able to, uh, you know, rid rid this place of this termite problem that exists here. And when and just to be fair for anyone who's listening, when I say termite mound, I don't mean lots of people get very very. This this is the like the the edgiest subject, you know. Anybody will get lit up from from anything said on this, okay? And a lot of times, just a few hours ago, I was on a phone on a big conference call and. And someone was sharing that, you know, we need to kill these animals. And some other guy got really, really offended. A guy who was of, uh, I mean, he had some, uh, based on his last name, I could tell that he was Arab. And he got really, really upset and offended because he said, how dare you call, you know, Palestinians animals. And it had to be distinguished for him and for, you know, just to, for, like, to set the record straight that we're not saying that. Pal the, the Palestinians or Arabs are animals, not human beings, right? But the, the, the termites or the animals that we're referring to or the evil or the demons that we're referring to are the perpetrators of the crimes, are Hamas. These are the people who are um, active in this organization called Hamas, who hundreds of them came, came over the border and, you know, just people say the word murdered, but murdered isn't, isn't the, it's, it's slaughtered, it's massacred, it's, um, it's executed. Whole families, you know, just went from house to house and executed whole families, tied kids up, doused them with gasoline, burned them alive. Uh, the, I have some friends who are volunteering uh, in the uh, clearing of the bodies of the corpses. And, um, you know, they say you have people who are tied up and stabbed 20 times, 20 stabs, you know, it's like after the person has been tied up, you know, and, uh, and, and we'll not even get into the whole issue of the 40 infants, beheaded infants and all this. It is as gruesome as it gets. I was, thinking yesterday to myself, um, what could, I, I, I literally thought to myself yesterday, could it get any more gruesome? Could it? Like, you know, really, could it? And the best I could come up with was like, maybe if they'd eat them, you know, mm. like cannibalism, I, like, like that, that's the next level, you know, but beyond that, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how much how, how cr much crazier it can get. Well, you like you mentioned, you know, this is the worst since uh, the Holocaust. And uh, a couple months ago, I took a family who is involved in uh, doing, they got an organization rescuing children from sex traffickers. And I took them to the Aus uh, Auschwitz um, exhibition at the Reagan Library. And you got to see at that exhibition, the horrors that happened, uh, you know, uh, during the Holocaust there. And we went from 
room to room and we got to see and listen and hear people speak about what had happened. And, you know, as we were going through that tour, it was like a private tour that I set up for them and we had a chance to go through and you, you thought, okay, you know, this was uh, back in 1940s, right? This isn't something that, you know, how, you, like you said, how worse can it get? And then it does. And, and what just happened, you know, on many levels, it, just because it's a, a different level of, of brutality. Um, and, you know, not to say you can compare them. They, they both, you know, are, are horrible. So, you know, uh, just going through some of that. And like you said, it's a difficult subject because people don't realize that the people who conduct this, just like the Nazis who ran the concentration camps, were termites. That doesn't mean the German, all the German people were. And that, you're making that distinction. And that's reality. But you have to understand they are. You know, they're not just bad guys. You know, you can't give them some, you know, soft word to describe them. It's just not acceptable. They don't get no soft words. That's not who they are. You know, they need to be to be eliminated totally um, because they're not they're not even the interests of their own people. They're destroying their own people's future. That's what they're doing. Not only the other horrors that they're doing, they're destroying their own people's future. They are. And, um, you know, and, and right now, when you ask me to, you know, I'd like to talk with you on this matter, given these times, then I thought it would be a great opportunity because this is an opportunity, I think, where two things have to happen. First of all, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure that many, many, many people saw already, you know, that unbelievably breathtaking speech given by uh, the mayor of New York City. You know, people are effed up. You know, he, he said those four words, we are, not, we are not all right, you know. People here are really, really messed up, okay? Um, my younger brother came into my into my house the other day. He's got a, a, year, a year and a half old uh, daughter, my niece, who's the most beautiful little girl in the world. And uh, and he came in and he said, he said, "Dude, I'm I'm really uh, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but I think I'm really messed up." Mm. And I said, I said, "What happened?" He said, uh, you know, Lenny, who's my niece, she she had she was holding her doll, you know, like a, she was holding a, a doll. And then she, you know, she yelled or something and she and she threw it harshly on the ground. And he said, and and I just froze and my heart started racing, and I was on my way into a full, you know, into like a a panic attack. Mm. It, the the sight of the, you know, of the doll, like the baby on the floor being thrown on the floor. So, you know, just sent me into, into, and he said, then she, she took the doll. I told her to pick it up and she put it into a box where all the other dolls are all thrown in there. You know, he's like, I couldn't get the pictures of the, of, of the babies out of my head. And, and, and I can't sleep at night, you know, and I, and people are just, People just burst out crying, you know, left left and right all over the place because everyone's trying to, to mask the pain by doing, you know, sometimes doing things 
and contributing and helping and supporting is kind of like a defense mechanism to not have to deal with the with the, the brokenness that people feel that everyone's just, you know, go, 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 go. And when you have a moment where you stop, you lose it. So first of all, there are a lot of people in pain. That's the first thing. And um, many of our friends, your friends and my friends, many people that might be watching this, I mean, if, if you're watching this and, and um, you feel like you're messed up, it's because the, it's, if there's anything that'll mess you up, if you got a chance to see any of those videos or any of those pictures, and this is the kind of stuff that'll mess you up. Okay, so just know that you have the legitimacy to be messed up. And if you are messed up, whatever that means, then you're probably normal because it's kind of weird not to be hugely impacted by the stories and the pictures and, you know, everything that's been going on. Okay, so just give yourself some space and give yourself some grace and allow you know it's like getting hit by a bus and then trying to get up and say i'm okay i'm okay no no you know it's, it's okay to sit down and like catch your breath so allow yourself to catch your breath that's one thing okay and, um, and i think you you know and, and i don't want to cut you off keep going but you know and, and that uh, will probably come back and fought for a period of time it just you're not going to be okay for a long time. You may get okay for a little bit, but then it kind of reappears because trauma has that. That's the way trauma works. And you have to accept that and understand that and not be hard on yourself because you're not okay. So keep going, Ron. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. And, and just to write on what you said, JD, we'll work it out. Okay. It's, it's, we'll work it out as we go. You know, it's like, this life is damn complicated, and especially in this neighborhood. And people go through stuff in life. And part of the burdens of being a human being is that we got to work this stuff out and get through it in one way or another. My dog doesn't have to deal with that. You know, she doesn't have to work things out for herself as much as <laughs> very, we do. Very true. But even then, by the way, some do because we know sometimes uh, dogs can also carry trauma with them and stuff like that. But if they're abused, that's absolutely, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So one important thing that was important for me to share is just you know to send that message of that 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 you know that I don't even know how to say this that I hear you. Okay, you're heard. You're gotten by so many people. Whatever you feel is across the board. It's around the world and tens of millions of people that they just don't know how to express their feelings. They don't know how to say it. They might be afraid of being offended. They might be afraid of looking vulnerable, but people are really effed up right now. And if you're, and if that's the way that you feel, I hear you. Okay. I hear you. It is as effed up as effed up can get. That's okay. We'll get through it. Handle it. Okay. Just you'll get it handled soon, soon. That's the first thing. Um, a second thing is um, that uh, people ask me all the time, including you. I mean, this is how this is how our conversation started, Duffy. That you said if there's any way to help or to support in any way. So I get that all the time. Okay, and 
there is a way for people to support. And it is, uh, I can tell you that on the home front over here in Israel, the soldiers, the people, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting it handled. It's happening. It's, we don't need any kind of, at the moment, you know, um, th there's no like reach out that we need some kind of equipment or that we need financial support or anything like that. that that'll work itself out. The biggest thing these days in terms of support is grassroots community support from regular people in the street and on social media, okay? At the moment, the, uh, the governments of the world, of the Western world, are standing firmly beside Israel in unprecedented ways, which is truly incredible, like really, like never before. And that is amazing. And we cannot tell you, you know, when I'm not a fan of President Biden, okay? But when President Biden gave his speech, first of all, I had tears in my eyes and I'm even feeling kind of choked up right now because I think it was one of the most beautiful and historic speeches that a president has given, I have to say. It was masterful. Incredibly powerful. He then backed it up by sending two aircraft carriers over here to the region, which has never happened before. The United States, with all of its love and support to, the, to Israel, has never sent aircraft carriers over here. Okay, It is an unprecedented show of force and stand behind Israel. When people saw that, just so you know, that the citizens of Israel, when they saw that and when they heard that, it was as if someone like, you know, breathed life into us to know that America has our back. It is incredible. And that kind of support from the leaders of the world is immense. However, it will begin to waver very soon because the Palestinians and those who fund them, who are Iran and Qatar, uh, are part of the axis of evil, and they are masters of propaganda, disinformation, misinformation, fake news, and all the and and of course uh, shaming. Okay, shaming and um, and boycotting. And Israel has not even gone into Gaza yet. Over the next few days, we will. And once Israel goes in, you will begin to see the uh, an unrelenting onslaught of fake news uh demonization anti-semitic rhetoric anti-israel rhetoric you will be bombarded and it will mess around with your head and with your senses and uh slowly but surely um the conversation will start tipping against israel okay and that's where we need people just like you and me and our families and our friends to be to not be intimidated by the shaming tactics to not be intimidated by the moral race uh, by the moral uh, uh, what do you call it um, the virtue signaling you know when they say how could you how could you let how could you be okay stand by Israel killing innocent children and all, all those things okay what you will hear you just just get you're gonna hear that stuff all day every day. 
and you're either going to be you're either going to fold under the pressure uh, or you will stand and say it's horrible we know but we must shift the paradigm this is it's it must be a new age where we take this actor this this actor of evil away from the dinner table we can't have hamas which is equivalent to isis sitting at the dinner table anymore we can't no one can have dinner um exactly no one can have dinner when there is a you know when when they are at the table peace is not possible when they are at the table it's just not it's not in their best interest they will make sure that no one can eat because that's their game so we need to remove them from the table then a new paradigm will, will emerge and just to to go uh, uh, on some of what you just said and those two points you know uh, in the west and among um my and our uh, friends who happen to be a liberal progressive uh, whatever on that side of the thing and they you know they don't realize what the sides are or that the sides are such that they are. But like you said, uh, besides Hamas being backed by Iran and Qatar, they're also backed by uh, Russia. They're backed by communist China. They're backed by North Korea. That's the axis of evil that you're talking about. It's not a small axis. And, and you know, at, at a certain point in life, you do have to take a side. Um, even if you don't want to, or you'd rather everybody just got along. But when people don't get along, you have to take a side. Just like in World War II, people had to take a side. And, you know, the reality is there is two sides, unfortunately, and one side is evil. And if you can't wrap your mind around it, you need to take a look at it a lot harder because, like you said, you, they're not able to sit at the dinner table with you and have dinner when they're trying to figure out how to kill you at the dinner table. That's not how you have dinner together. hundred percent. So I think people, you know, obviously have gone through an education system in Western, in Europe and in America that kind of has kind of blurred what's good and what's evil or that there isn't, that there isn't uh, even evil. Because I think if you go through our university systems, you may come away thinking there's no such thing as evil. Um, obviously, that's a distortion of reality. And unfortunately, I think young people um, need to uh, reassess and start to think again about uh, issues a lot deeper than they think about them so far. What was, what was JD, the, for you, in your good old days when you were on a different <laughs> side of the game, you mean when I was a communist leader? Yeah. Right. And what was the thing that, because each, you know, people always have a rational argument to why they're right, you know? And so there were days where you had a rational, rational argument, I think, to why you were right about being a communist. But then at some point, your eyes opened to, to, oh, this is evil. Like, these people aren't interested in sitting at the table. They got something else, some other agenda that's running them. What, what was that thing for you that opened your eyes to it? I, I mean, that's a great question, Ron. I, you know, for me, what got me to A, and I think gets a lot of young people, but especially coming from my poor background, 
what got me to be in that uh, point of view and, and going down that path was I wanted a better world. I wanted a world, a utopia. I wanted a world where people all got along. There was no poverty. There was no drugs. There was no, no all the evils that we saw in our lives that they were going to be gone and that we were going to contribute to get rid of them. So that, so that utopian dream was what the dream was. And so I kind of went on that path thinking that that's what we were about was creating that utopian dream. And it took a couple or, or many experiences to kind of wake me up from that dream and realize the dream wasn't reality and reality was a lot different than the dream. But I'll give you one example that was a, 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 a kind of eye opener was we worked with um, Cambodian students in New York who were going to school in New York City. And at the time, the Pol Pot regime, the communist regime of Cambodia, what they called the Khmer Rouge, was ru ruling uh, Cambodia. And it was a brutal, you know, we didn't see it as that. We thought they were communists creating a utopia in Cambodia. So um, uh, they asked these Cambodian students, the communist government of uh, Pol Pot asked these uh, Cambodian students to come back to Cambodia to help with the revolution. So these were people we knew personally. They got on a plane, they went back to Cambodia, they got off the plane and they got shot and killed on the runway by the communists because they were bourgeois. So they were brought back to kill these students, Cambodian students who supported that revolution. And that to me was a holy shit, what the hell is this kind of moment? Who are these people? Who, who would do something like that? Um, and it was just one moment. It wasn't the only one that did the transformation. But it was then me starting to think and me starting to read other information, not just the cult information that I was reading on my side. I started to read other points of view. And as I started to read other points of view that I had not read before, I started to have to reevaluate. And, and now I had to think and not just feel and not be emotional, but start to get intelligent about what is really going on and what is this really about? And it took a while. And at one point, I, you know, I basically uh, rejected it. And then 9-11, quite frankly, was the final point for me, because when 9-11 happened, you know, being on the left, I supported all that terrorist groups. And so when 9-11 happened, I realized that I was on the wrong side politically for a lot of my life and that I all of a sudden became what I called a born again American. And I had to go back and say this was all the things that I believed and I was wrong. And the reasons I believed them maybe came from good intentions, but good intentions paved the road to hell. It has nothing to do with damn good intentions if the outcome is horrible. So I had to learn. I had to change. I had to criticize myself and realize that I had made some bad choices in life and had went down the wrong path. And it was time to do a course correction. And I did. Amazing. It takes a big person to be able to... Um you know, take a step back and uh, and and actually reassess rather than automatically double down. Usually people just double down instead of, you know, knowing when to, oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm a, I'm about to I'm about to bet the keys to my house. This is this is pretty damn stupid. You know, I better not double down on this. Um, so it's, well, it's easier. It, it's easier to not admit that you were wrong. I mean, we all want to be right. We all want to think that we're right all the time, especially men, I think. But, you know, we all want to be right. And so to admit that you were wrong and to be willing to say it, hey, 
you know, I don't put the blame on anybody else. I made those choices. I was wrong, not somebody else. I was wrong. And, and you know, it, it, it's not easy to do that. It's not easy. Um, and, and keep doing it because then, you know, then you, 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 even now, you know, you move a little bit, you got different points of view and you start to think you're right again about everything. Well, you, you know, you, you, you're not, you know, you got to be willing to question yourself and not be afraid to do that no matter where you are in life. Having that courage is something I, luckily, I just feel blessed that I learned it and I continue to, to challenge myself to say, well, what if I'm wrong now? What if this idea is wrong? To have the courage to keep asking that question and not be afraid. Awesome. But let me go a little further. We've got a, a little bit more time and I want to, um, I don't know how many much more time, but yeah, but you know, one, I, I want to, I'm going to play. I saw your thing with Mayor Adams. I just wanted to comment on that because that was a powerful speech he gave. Um, I think it was super four minutes. I saw it on your page. I'll share it below on this one. So if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, they can watch it because, you know, as a New Yorker, as somebody who went through 9-11, I think we have a special, uh, unique um, identification because of that. And he hit it hard. He hit it. That, that that may be the best best moment of his life. I don't always agree with him on a lot of things, but when somebody does something right, I go, "Damn, that was good. That was good." Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad that he he stepped up and did it. Um, you know, tell us a little bit. The other the, oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Ron, because I know, and because people don't understand, they stereotype people. So people who may look at you as, well, you're Israeli, you're in the IDF, the stereotypes of you, which you kind of talked a little bit uh, in the beginning about you being maybe too nice and, and that kind of stuff, that breaks their vision of you, right? Because their vision is, well, no, you're all evil. You know, you're an evil Israeli. Um, uh, I remember you telling me back in the day when we were together that you were trying to put together a program and, and you attempted it and did some stuff to help bring uh, medical care to Palestinian kids and provide an alternative to give them some medical care that they weren't able to get. And you tried to put that piece together. And that was something that impressed me so much because here I didn't know, you know, anybody who was in the IDF before I met you. And so to know somebody who'd been through that, was in a wheelchair, went through all that experiences in life, and still was somebody who had that love and compassion for the other, um, impressed the hell out of me. But I think that's kind of who you are and continue to be, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, see you as my brother uh, because of that. Yeah. Well, I, I dedicate, thank you. I, I dedicated my life to causing, you know, peace, resolution, and uh, prosperity between all peoples of all colors and creeds and religions here in the Middle East. Why? Because why not? There's no reason why not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there really is. I mean, well, there are a lot of reasons why not, but there are also well, yeah. many, many, many more reasons why so, right? And um, I mean, I have to say that even though I was, so I don't know if I said that here, but but uh, I, you know, I suffered a spinal cord injury when I was 20 years old while I was leading my men in combat in, uh, in Lebanon. And um and I have to say, you know, I'm, though I'm very proud of what I did and I don't have any regrets about it, the fact of the matter is that there, it's uh, me, me being paralyzed at the age of 20 is a pretty stupid predicament to be in. It's just dumb, you know? I'm sorry. It's just like, uh, 
people might want to glorify it. People often do, you know, they glorify it. You fought for your people and, you know, you fought for, for freedom and all of it's true, you know, but why should I, why should people have to do that? Like, why does that need to be a thing? Mm. You know, mm. it's almost as dumb as, uh, uh, I don't know, like if, uh, you're, you were, you were paralyzed in a car accident because you didn't put your seatbelt on. Well, that's stupid. Why didn't you put your seatbelt on? It's just, you know, put on your stupid seatbelt. Why would you? So same, same thing for me. Now, now, it completely altered the course of my life. You know, let's not even talk about the quality of my life, given, you know, it's, it's not exactly an, an upgrade in the quality of life to find yourself with a spinal cord injury in many, many, many ways. Um, don't get me wrong, by the way, it's not a complaint because my quality of life, I truly believe is about a hundred times higher than most people on earth. Um, cause I created my life that way, but, um, there is no good reason why the people in this family or in this neighborhood can't sit together and work it out. Okay, around the dinner table. Everyone here is part of this, you know, everyone here in the Middle East, in Israel and our neighbors and with the Palestinians, we're all here. No one's going anywhere. Okay, no one's being deported anywhere. No one's going anyplace. No one, no one's going to murder the other, the, the other few million. It's not going to happen. So the, then the bigger question is, well, shit. How can we cause peace, resolution, cooperation, brotherhood, and prosperity to live in this place? And like we said earlier, um, you know, we can all come and we can cook together and we can talk together and we can tell stories and we can build businesses together and we could do bridge building and we could mediate things and we could have sports together and we can raise money and we can help build and heal each other in all kinds of a gazillion different initiatives. But it all comes crashing down as soon as everyone's okay with, you know, with the serial murderer sitting at the table. And all of it, all of the initiatives, the humanitarian stuff, all of it goes out the window when those guys are around. And um, yeah, when we met, I was, I was just uh, beginning to fundraise for an organization to help uh, children with, you know, with spinal cord injuries on the Palis in the Palestinian uh, territories, because, you know, I know what that's like, and I have a really great life, and I have really great medical care, but they don't. So I thought to myself, you know, Maybe that could be a good way to contribute. Then uh, COVID came around and all that kind of was put on hold. Um, but those things must keep on going. They must keep existing. And I can tell you that the day that Hamas disappears from Gaza, okay, will be, and, and that a, a different kind of regime is installed that has integrity you will see that the Israelis will be the first at the door with the bouquet of flowers and the bottle of wine 
you know, and the whole and, and the housewarming gift to say, welcome. It's so great to have you. We want you over for dinner. You have to remember that all of these arch terrorists, they all, all their families receive medical care, oncological care, cardiological care in Israeli hospitals. Gazans, when a Gazan has, when a citizen of Gaza has has heart problems or has or needs cancer care, they come to Israel to receive treatment. Israel gives them their humanitarian aid. Israel gives them their gas, their electricity. And most of the world, and you know, like you said earlier, your second point about how you can support with social media and other things as it gets worse, most of the world doesn't understand that or doesn't know that or doesn't realize that, that they're being, the thing that you just said, you know, that that, that is so true. And, and people don't don't know that, you know, it's because it's not out there in the media, it's not promoted, it's not shared. People don't get that reality. They don't understand it. And, you know, I, I just watched and I'm gonna put it maybe on the bottom of my thing too. I, I, um, uh, on Twitter, there's two guys who run a company and I don't know what the company is, but they got like hundred employees. One is Palestinian, one is Israeli. And they just, it, it, right after this incident, they talk about them working together and what they have together. And exactly what you were just saying is that after this is over and after the, the cancer uh, of Hamas is, is cut out, that the people are still there. The people remain there. And if there's a way to move forward with that humanity, and that's what you want to do, and that's what the best impulse and the best people in our planet, whatever, wherever they come from, whatever ethnic group they come from, that's what makes the world better. That that impulse. You know, in Ireland, my parents came from Ireland. The IRA, the Protestants and the Catholics killed each other for so many damn years until the best impulse worked out and they were able to get past it and realize that they could do stuff together as opposed to trying to freaking kill each other. Um, you know, but you got to cut the cancer out because the cancer and the, the is you can't ever do it while that's destroying the body. And that's what's destroying the Palestinians body and it's destroying the body of the Middle East, that uh, particular cancer. Yep. And you know, just a, just a funny anecdote. Well, it's not funny. It's a, it's a, uh, how much time do we have, by the way? Um, uh, you know, well, it, <laughs> uh, as much as we want, right, quite frankly, uh, it's, uh, we're up to about an hour, but you know, I, I can go as long as you can, you know, I got another show it in an hour from now, but I got time and keep going. Don't worry. This is, I, I love all the stuff you're saying. And I just think people need to hear it on every level because the humanity in you and, and your love for people to create that bigger vision and at the same time, deal with the evil that's there, that they both coexist. You can get rid of evil and you can still care about people. It's not either or. It's not an either or proposition. Yep. And another, and I'll just say that also that I, I, one of the things that I'm concerned about sometimes is that people might watch an interview like this and they'll think, well, you know, he's positional. He's Israeli. He was in the IDF. Oh, this is just like another kind of Israeli propaganda. I could totally see how this kind of thing can occur like some kind of Israeli propaganda, right? Um, and, and I get that. I, I totally can see how that is. The only thing I could say about that is, is that the place where I stand, the commitment from which I come is for the people of Gaza to be free, for them to be free, 
because at the moment they are under a uh, they are under a regime that is not only it's beyond oppressing them, it's using them as its shield. Okay, it's using them as its own shield in order to move their uh, agenda forward. Just as an example from yesterday, yesterday, so in preparation for uh, for the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces to finally go into into Gaza and to start, you know, to start the the invasion, then um, the leaflets and text messages were sent to every were dropped leaflets were dropped off over the whole northern third of Gaza. And text messages, okay, by the were were sent and phone calls were made to every cellular phone in Gaza requesting that people evacuate the northern third of Gaza, okay, so that there isn't collateral damage, so it's minimized. And an exodus of people began to move from the northern area, you know, southbound. And um, and guess what Hamas did? They blocked the roads. They took people's, every car that they saw heading southbound, they seized the keys to the car. They just blocked all the roads. They told people, go back into your homes. And they started moving all those people that were trying to flee the war zone back into the war zone. Why? Because it is their wet dream. It is the ultimate payoff for them. For an F-16 to drop a bomb on a building and kill as many Palestinian kids as possible. That's their dream in life. Because as soon as it happens, they're all walking around with cameras. They send those, those pictures off to the world. And that's how they win. That's how they win. So we just cannot be a part of that propaganda. You have to understand it. Israel will go to lengths and, 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 uh, and uh, put its own soldiers and its own people at risk to not have to be um, in that position where we are uh, killing, I mean, other people's children. It's horrendous. It's horrific. You know, like you said, people will kind of, and you can see it, they'll look at this and say, this is Israeli propaganda, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the realities of the day, and I posted it on my Facebook page, I watched a video someone sent to me about uh, uh, Iraq and Mosul and uh, a group of people who were volunteers, a former Navy SEAL, and they went in doing humanitarian aid, and it was during the uh, whole ISIS occupation of Mosul. Different situation, different terrorists, very similar reality. Uh, like uh, ISIS and, and Hamas are, are the same, but ISIS did the same thing, and these volunteers had to rescue these Iraqi people who were victims of ISIS and try and save their lives because ISIS wanted to keep them, just like Hamas, to keep them so somebody could kill these people, these kids, and then use that for propaganda purposes. So that evil that's willing to do that to your own children, I mean, I think there's a quote, and you may remember, and I don't remember it, about from Go To My Air, about, you know, uh, if, uh, if their people would love their children as much, then you could find peace. And, and uh, of course, for terrorist groups, they don't. They just yeah, the, just to just to make to, to make that precise, I think Golda Meir's quote is that the there will be peace when the Arabs when um when they uh when they 
love their children more than they love more than they hate the Jews. Right. And that's a very powerful quote. And you know, there's a movie out now about Go to My Air, which I haven't had a chance to see yet in the US. But um, but that quote is so powerful because it's so true. And, and, and what it takes is you're not gonna get to that place unless you get you know, you don't have to love people who are different than you. You, you know, you don't have the same thing in common. But when you really love your own people enough that you don't want them to die and you want a better life for them, then you put all your time and your activity to make that better life for the future for them, not to make it worse for them so you can get a political point, so you can prove that you're right, to show that your hatred is more important than anything else in the world. And that's kind of what we're seeing. And it's, uh, you know, but social media, we need to do education. Young people throughout the world need to realize, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I look at it having been on both sides uh, of a political equation. I kind of understand it a little deeper maybe than people who've only been on one side all their life, whatever that side is. Um, it just gives me an understanding of why people feel the way they do. And they're emotionally driven. And I understand that, you know, but I can have a conversation with anybody um, out of respect and say, look, take a look at this. Take a look at this other point of information. It may change you, it may not, but look at it. Don't be afraid to look at it. And that's what I think this conversation with you today is that I hope people look at it, listen to it, you know, and maybe open their heart, maybe just a little bit and open their mind a little bit and maybe just say, maybe I can rethink this a little bit deeper. Amen, amen. And for anyone, and thank you for the opportunity, Duffy, for the allowing me to, I mean, I, I don't even want to say to speak. It's more like to just share, you know, to share what's been going on. And uh, for anyone who's been watching, thanks for your patience and for, you know, sticking with us and for keeping an open mind. And, um, you know, we, we come for peace. There is no greater desire that I have. I mean, that that's why I do what I do in my life is because I will fight tooth and nail in order for us to one day all sit around the dinner table safely, securely, um, well-dressed, well-fed, and to tell stories about life and to rediscover that we're all here for the same reason, for the same purpose, and we all worship the same God. And if there's someone that doesn't worship the God or anyone, that's fine also, you know, he'll just have to bring the dessert. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, I, and I and I can t testify to that because having shared Shabbat with you, that experience was that. That experience was such a diversity of people with different ideas and different coming from different places, different backgrounds, but just, you know, a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, just love, fun. You know, like I say, you know, goofing on each other, you know, you, where you got to bring the wine, whatever. All that stuff just... That's where, that's what puts me and you in common. That's why I felt that night that uh, me and my uh, buddy Bob, I'm going to put up a quick picture if I can, of us from another event, but uh, uh, Bob uh, on, on the right there um, and another Lou Simon. But, um, you know, we stayed out in the cold with you for about an hour, an hour and a half. Both of us got sick the next day, but it was, it was one of those days I was like, that was worth getting sick over because we had a chance to go so deep. Um, and just connect, man, on so many levels, just those human levels that, you know, you just go, this is what it's really about. It, you know, this is what, this is the world we want to create. 
and, and it's not the world that exists, but but uh, we can make our contributions to it in whatever way we can. And you're doing it in all the ways that you've continued to do it throughout your life. So, you know, I'm hey, I'm honored and, and blessed to know you and call you brother, man. Um, anytime you want to come back on, anytime we need to, you know, do this conversation again as many times as we need to about anything, uh, we'll do it. And and I look forward in the future to uh, I know you pushed me a bunch of times to come over and uh, that, that that that's still going to that's still going to happen. So, you know, I'm going to come visit so I can get to a, a chance to spend time with you over there. Love it. I love it. I love you. And thank you, my brother. Thanks for everyone who's watching. Thank you, Ron, man. Be safe. Shalom. All my best, brother. And um, anything I can do, please reach out to me. God bless you, brother. We will prevail. Yes, you, you will. Yes, we will. Thank you, brother. Uh, powerful, powerful, powerful program. I hope everybody uh, gets a chance. I'm going to keep sharing this. I'm going to share it again next week. I have another guest who's also um, a writer who's in the IDF. I'm going to be bringing him on to have that conversation uh, again. Didn't expect to do this. It wasn't my plan to have these conversations on this issue. Um, I go with my instincts. I go with the people that have been put in my life to be able. They're always there for a reason, I believe. And uh, Ron's been put in my life for a reason. Hope you take this. If it impacted you, please take it, share it, get people to listen, get people to open their heart, get people to open their mind, understand what's going on. Uh, it's going to be a really uh, ugly world probably, and this is just my guess, for at least a couple of years as this uh, gets to resolve itself out, uh, both in Israel, in the Middle East, and throughout the world. Um but there's always hope. There's always the positive. And out of uh, negative comes positive. Out of 9-11, which was a horrible tragedy for America, good came out of that as well. And um, hopefully we'll find a way to find the good, make a difference, and, and change the world for the better. So thank you for watching Live Courageously. Thank you for watching the show with uh, my good brother, Ron. And uh, please, like I said, share it. And uh, until I see you, I'm going to jump on in another half hour to do another show with a, a Marine Corps um, buddy who has an interesting story as well. So um, see you in probably a half hour on another show. Uh, take care. Best.